This episode of Candyman, a Sweet Tooth podcast, was taped before the announcement that Netflix has not only picked up Sweet Tooth for a third and final season, but also has already filmed the entire final season. Great news! Now, please enjoy the rest of the podcast as usual. Welcome to Candy Man, a podcast about Sweet Tooth on Netflix. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we have a special guest for us for a season two wrap up. Once again, Jim Mickle, showrunner of Sweet yeah. Tooth. Jim, welcome yeah. to the podcast. Hey guys. Oh my gosh. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having uh, me. Congratulations on the season. Congratulations yeah. on another fantastic season of television. We have been loving Thanks. talking about it, we've been loving watching it. We're, as we're taping this, it's not even necessarily a week out, but uh, earlier today, the Netflix top 10 stats dropped. And season two came in with 48,340,000 hours viewed. And season one, which I thought was an even better sign, popped back into the top 10 with 19,230,000 hours viewed. Does that, does that feel good? Is is it? It does. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really, yeah. You start talking about those numbers and it's just so hard to quantify or even understand what that means. But uh, yeah, it's pretty epic. It's pretty great. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, it, I feel like that's that's especially um, encouraging. Uh, season one coming back in. Uh, yeah. What is? How do you read that from the reading the net the the opaque Netflix tea leaves? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I wish I was able to contextualize it more. But I mean, I, I think one of the concerns I always of like putting on a second season, you know, two years later, is you're not sure, you know, who's gonna come along, who's gonna remember it. I mean, I go to watch things that are, you know. I watched six months ago and a lot of times you can't remember what that was about. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, so I think, um, I was really hoping that, you know, people would feel free to dive back in or, or sort of rediscover it for the first time. So I, I think, I think that's a really good sign and, and good sign that, you know, that it's got, uh, that it's got legs and longevity to it, which is, uh, which is cool. You know, it's been for me, it's, you know, started this, you know, enough years ago now that this has been such a giant chapter of my life. And I think one of the things about, you know, releasing a show in the streaming era is it tends to come out and it can sort of, you know, people can be thinking about it or talking about it for a couple of days and suddenly just move on to whatever is next. And there's always a little bit of like, come on, but it's been so long. So it's nice <laughs> yeah. to know that people are Give me a back. minute here. Give me a minute. Yeah. It's nice <laughs> to know people are coming back, you know, two years later and enjoying it. So yeah, it's good. Well, given that, I mean, we talked about this a little bit with the la- with the first season, but mm-hmm. obviously we're hit with COVID pretty yeah. much towards like the beginning of the process. That affected a lot yeah. of things. You were shooting that. And then you do have that long gap between season one and season two. So when you were yeah. coming into crafting season two, how much did that affect the thought process? How much did that affect the pacing of the season, perhaps? Um, I mean, when we were... Starting it, we didn't really have any concept of when it might come out. So we actually started writing season two like a month or two before season one came out. It was kind of oh, a, wow. we, st- we started, you know, it was one of those like, let's get a jump in case this does well. And and I remember even like the first month or two of the season two, right? There's a lot of new writers in there and they had seen season one, but it was, it was, it was interesting going into being like, you know, I think people are going to like the show. I think people are going to like this. And, and it was funny, like Bobby, for example, I remember 
So saying like, I think people really like Bob and, and just people in the room, you know, who had been objective, like, oh, people are going to really like him. And you'd be like, OK, we'll wait and see. And then it, and then it comes out. And it obviously <laughs> did incredibly so, well. <laughs> I'm so yeah. glad you brought up Bobby first because I was trying not to do it. Um, this has been the season of Bobby. Congratulations. <laughs> Derailing this it's conversation. Been so gloriously, Bobby. Was it hard to like hold back and be like, not too much, Bobby, because we got yeah. the. You know, chef's kiss about yeah. Bobby. And here. by the way, Pete, I appreciate yeah, you giving us, I think, two to three minutes of walking through the season before you jump right yeah, to Bobby. Yeah, really. <laughs> Bobby. It was. It was. Um, you know, he's amazing, and everybody that pulls him off is amazing. And and um, you know, it's so fun to sort of see like the stuff that pops up in the writers' room that then like then it gets into prep, and it's like, okay, how do you actually do that? And these things kind of escalate until you actually pull these things off. So. That's pretty exciting. But yeah, I mean, I think the the challenge is always like, I mean, really, the crazy thing is you do schedule it in a way because you know that that stuff is going to take so much time when you have Bobby. And so every scene, right. you know, that you're going through, you're thinking about, okay, like you have the, you have all these kids that have limited hours and suddenly they have puppeteerable parts and all this. And then suddenly you're like, now we're going to throw in a fully, you know, puppeted, rod puppeted, you know, character into the middle of this. And sometimes you just like, you just look at the schedule and it's just like, you're like, what are we doing? Um, but the crazy thing <laughs> we was, have seven you know, minutes of production time today. We totally, really got to yeah. use it. But the great, you know, COVID, you know, season one, COVID didn't touch New Zealand, which is amazing. And then suddenly season two, like Omicron, came that omicron wave like came in on like the first weekend of production and on day oh, one wow. we already were shifting our schedule and the beautiful thing was we actually i think day one we actually started with the whole like bobby escapes the uh the kennels uh thing because mm. it was like we don't have actors we don't have crew it was like let's just what can we shoot and it was like we got the puppet and it was actually like the perfect first day was to shoot that whole rig where he like came out through the tiles and the tiles bump up and the and the and, Episode 201. Um, So that was a pretty cool way to sort of kick things off and feel like, yeah, we can do this this year. Um, But it was cool. I mean, um, Fractured, like they rebuilt the puppet. They re-engineered pieces of it, knowing what we were going to do. A lot of the things that we learned on season one, it was just, um, it was really cool to see that thing, uh, to see the whole operation come to life. Did you have the words? Wait, wait, wait. wait. Before we move on, I just want to, you know, yeah, yeah. We just got to talk about Bobby a little bit longer here. Before we move on. Who is your favorite Bobby? Is it Shawshank Bobby or is it Terminator <laughs> Bobby? Because uh, they were both so glorious. I love – so Shawshank I love and I love that people love it. I, so I did um, – Elise, our, our, our um, prop master, had that great um, idea to do the like see no evil, hear no evil, uh, uh, like the hiding with the two little statues. I just love that idea. And I remember when she first like pitched that, put that together, it was like, oh my God, that's so good. But we have to quickly make these other statues in the same, you know, uh, proportions as Bobby. Then they got the scenic, you know, it was this whole thing to get it in there. And so I love that. We actually did too. Like it was a real trick because we wanted to pull that off in one shot. So it was like, how do we do that? And where do you hide the puppeteers? Cause usually right. you can try right. to hide them on the sides, but suddenly you can't do that. Cause there's a statue on both sides and right. you're trying to do it in one shot. And, um, our art department on set was just so sharp and was like, you know, what if we put a crate behind them and the puppeteers can actually hide in the crate and do the rods mm. and we'll put little holes in the slats and they can go through. So they actually did that. So 
for me, that was wow. just one of those things that was like came of, you know, you dream up this thing of like, okay, we want to do this. I know this is really hard. How do we do it? And you see everybody come together and figure out a way to pull that off. So that's my favorite Bobby, that one. But, wow. um, but I love Shawshank too. <laughs> I, it sort of feels like at the beginning of the season, it was Shawshank Bobby question mark was on the whiteboard yeah, and everything right. yeah, built yeah. toward and away from that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely when that card popped up, it was like so many times like the, the ideas like really early on are the ones you're like, oh my God, that's the best. Like that line is going in the show, that whatever. <laughs> Those things never wind up happening. It's such, it's such a weird thing about like gravitational pulls. Suddenly you get to the end and you're like, you look back at the cards you're not using. It's like, I remember day one being like, that's it. That's yeah. it. And they don't go in there. <laughs> but yeah, Shawshank, Bobby, especially at the beginning of that episode, like once that card was there, it never left. <laughs> oh, oh my God. It's such an amazing moment. Uh, I do want to get back to the overall season, though, and yeah. then we'll talk about particular moments. Uh, but thank you, Pete, for bringing that up. So uh, th- this was my impression. We talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but I was curious to throw this by yeah. you. My impression is the first season, just by the nature of like the quest that they were going yeah. on, it, it was structured a little more episodically, like they're in a different place yeah. every episode. This one, you obviously stayed in the zoo for a good chunk of the season yeah. before they head back to Goose and Goose, Gus and Bubba's house uh, in the last couple of episodes. And there is uh-huh. some moving around the world. But what led to that choice? What led to that sort of very, it almost felt more serialized pace for the season two? Yeah. Good question. I mean, I think the fact that, you know, um, the fact that it's following the book, obviously, and everything is sort of in centralized in that story, and suddenly all the characters are centralized. I think that was a big part of it, you know, because I think season one, obviously, you have all these characters that are in these very far flung places, and you're bringing them together, which is part of the fun of season one. I think early on, what was nice was like, and especially because we were starting to write before season one came out and sort of saw the reaction was we were able to do it a little bit with a clean sort of mind and a bit of, you know, mm. objectivity. I really like the idea of coming in and be like, we're not going to try to recreate season one because there were so many great things that sort of happened by accident with season one. You don't want to recreate that. Um, what I found was interesting was like, I think in a way you like, you listen to the story and the characters, you know, and, and there's an organic thing that comes from that. A lot of times like you can't really force it into something that it doesn't want to be. So for example, I feel like in the first episode, I remember we started breaking things. We started putting stuff down and I started kind of writing some of those things in a way that felt like the Gus that we knew from season one in a way. And, but there was something about it that just rang false. Like as much as it was like, Oh, you know, I feel like I have that voice in my head and I can kind of write that suddenly you start to go like, it's, but it's not Gus from season one, you know, like season one from Gus was, you know, he had, grown up in this amazing setting with his father and now he's going out and seeing the world suddenly you're dealing with somebody who has seen the world for eight episodes and seen how sort of dark it is and 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 how off it is and not that he turns like cynical but it's like that sort of optimistic hopeful Gus is like it's a new chapter of that or like a new evolution of that and so that was a thing that I remember sort of writing it and feeling like yes this is Gus and then going back and looking at it and going like it's actually not this feels false this feels like we're trying to recreate that and so I think a lot of it was taking that and then letting those things evolve and realizing that he's a new character this season, not a new character, but he's evolved and Wendy's evolved. And so you sort of take that as you go. Um, But I do think that the fact that everybody is in sort of one centralized spot, and that was exciting to me because I like also playing with different genres. And I think season one was a road trip slash coming of age genre. And now it's sort of like, this is, um, this is like a prison break story and a heist story kind of match together and yeah. that really became the fun drive of it 
It almost feels like um, talking Gus and then bringing in, uh, say, Jeopard. It almost feels like Gus grows up to the point when he meets Jeopard and Jeopard almost has to reckon with. He becomes more like a kid again a little bit. And that I love in that moment when they finally see each other and Gus is like, hey, I'm going to get you out, actually. (laughs) You're the one who's Uh, Was that like, did you, did you need, do you feel like you need to sort of rebalance that seesaw of um, Gus is like, oh, Gus is different. So Jeopard has to be different in a different way. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I remember that was kind of an early idea that we really liked by the time they would meet back up. Like, I, I really, we really liked the idea that, um, you know, he'd become a leader in there with the things that he sort of learned from Hubba and that he learned from Jeopard, right? And so by the time Jeopard sees him now again, and it, this is always the trick with the story because it's like, even though it's been two years for audiences and eight episodes, like in reality, in real time, it's only been like a couple of days, you know? Yeah. Like even at the end of the show, when they go back, we were always joking, like if he left milk in the fridge when he left the cabin, like it would still be good when he came still back. Still drinkable. <laughs> Decently <laughs> drinkable. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that was a thing. We wanted Jeopard to see a new version of him and see a new version of Gus that had, that had grown up. But I think, yeah, you know, Jeopard's been, you know, I think Jeopard sort of opened his heart a little bit at the end of season one. And now that he has, like, it's now vulnerable again. So, Floodgates. You know, so, yeah. And so I think the fact that Amy, you know, Amy sort of ditches him in the middle of the season. And, and you know, I think all those things, suddenly he's got to wrestle with a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, speaking of Amy, what led to the decision to kill her off by the end of the season? I mean, it's so powerful the way yeah. that it plays out with uh, her getting the sick, yeah. saying goodbye to everybody. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, what led to that? Good question. I don't, some things just kind of, some things just kind of happen. I mean, it's interesting. Cause like, as you're saying, like at the beginning, there are some things that are so specific that you're like, yes, Bobby Shawshank. But I remember at some point it was like, <laughs> we knew pretty early on that, um, that we wanted her to get sick. And again, it's that, you know, uh, you know, I kind of call it like the Thai, high food sort of cooking, you know, of the show. It's like, you know, you have these really kind of spicy moments really coupled very much with these sweet moments. And so, you know, every time we start to get a bit sweet, I kind of like to have something in there that kind of regrounds you and just kind of gets those ups and downs. And get so, the pinky wiggles. Oh, stop. That'll don't. undercut anything. Stop I know. It. So I think we knew that that was always going to be a part of it. And then we really wrestled with it, to be honest, because after that it was, it was episode seven and eight, but then it was really hard to figure out how to get that right. And I remember at some point we even broke versions of seven and eight and even started outlining versions of seven and eight where that never happened. Cause it just felt mm. like this is such a big decision, oh, wow. but then suddenly you started looking at it and it really felt like, man, once you turn that corner, it does really change the story. And it does kind of speak to the same thing that Gus dealt with that, you know, as much as there are these wonderful things that happen in life, there's also these kind of crushing things that happen as well. And so, um, yeah, it was one of those things that, where it kind of came up and like the more you road tested it, the more it just felt like it was the right thing to do for the story. Also, I think her story was so well served and and she had done so much and it just felt like it was a amazing culmination for her character that she gets her kids back at that point and felt like it 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 felt like it would start to run in place or sort of if we were to go forward it would it would kind of force her into you know, I've already sort of peaked as a character, you know, and I, and I hate when you watch shows that really feel like everyone's kind of now background roles or something. So, yeah. Well, and it really, it opens up the <clears throat> Wendy bear relationship at the same time. Yeah, too, yep. Right. Yep. Yep. And I think that was a big trick was, you know, once that dynamic came into place, it was like, 
yeah, you don't want to play with that triangle for so long. So it just felt like there was, she's such a noble character. It felt like such a noble end, you know. That that was such an interesting moment. Uh, It's also really great to hear you kind of talk about it because like there are just listening to you talk. There's so many times in the, in the new season where you do play with our emotions, where you have this, a beautiful moment followed by such a crushing thing. And immediately makes me think of the brother relationship with John, where the part where he sings blew me away. I, uh, as someone who's not very musical, anytime you like, Oh, a song's coming. I get a little like, Oh God. Yeah, How's yeah. this going to go? But yeah. I was just, uh, you teed it up. You kind of teased there earlier that they yeah, yeah. like this certain group. And then you're like, oh, God, what song are they going to sing? And then it's yeah. just so beautiful and so amazing yeah. to kind of see these uh, two people so differently uh, right yeah. before the end there. Uh, yeah. And again, yeah. like you give us this beauty and then you're like, ah, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's I, one of my favorite moments. That's so good. Yeah, it really is uh, such a such an amazing complex uh, relationship, and also so beautiful and so scary. Well, I, I wanted yeah. to ask you about that a little bit, just because mm-hmm. Abbott is this character that we're presented as a very terrifying villain in the first season, and he, he doesn't yeah. necessarily waver from that. But we get so much of yeah. his humanity. There's we talked a lot about the, or at least I talked a lot about the move of when he wants to be human, he takes off the red glasses and shows yeah, yeah, yeah. his face. Um, how, how do you modulate that? How do you make sure he's still a good villain, but at the same time you're amping up his humanity through his relationship with Johnny in particular? Yeah, I think exactly that. Like it's, it's, you know, at the beginning of the season, um, you know, I mean, we didn't see him all that much in season one. And so he was this kind of threatening presence around and suddenly he becomes a much more present character in season two. And I think it, I think he just really felt like it would be very easy to just, you know, have him be that, that sort of, uh, 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 that sort of Darth Vader like character. But I think what was interesting was so much, somebody said early in the writer's room, like that by the end of the season, the, the, the hybrids will become more human and the human will, the humans will become more animal. And I thought that was mm-hmm. such an interesting thing as you go. And so I think the fact that he takes so much pride in his humanity and that's such a defining part of who he was really felt like, you know, we, we need to see that side of him. And I think also it's also Neil because he's such a, He's such a great eccentric performer that he's really fun to write for. And, and yeah, what, like my, some of my favorite stuff is that dinner scene in episode four with him and Ronnie and, and where suddenly he gets so genuine and you're like, you know, I think that was a big thing was as well as we wanted to show the, the last men and sort of, you know, get inside their head again, they're, they're sort of stormtroopers or, you know, Indiana Jones, Nazis in season one. And yeah. suddenly you sort of, now that we're going to be around them and see them and see like how Jeff was a part of that kind of wanted to get inside the head of like, what would it actually take to join that? You know, like what would it, act, what's the, what's the appeal there? And so you start to sort of explore that stuff. And that became really interesting of like, how does he inspire people and how does he get people to do what he wants? And it really felt like him, you know, just hearkening back to being human and how being human is a wonderful thing was really quite sharp. So I think we, we knew we wanted these moments where you really felt like, man, in the right, in a different context, I would totally be down with this i love that moment and this is this is an idea from team downey really was like at that dinner ronnie and Singh both go to that and they go in like this guy's a monster and then at the end they come out they have this completely different like sort of polarized response to like yeah what he is i love that moment that little touch and and that informed a lot too i think of just like um 
Yeah, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I love that stuff. And, and I mean, the other the, you mentioned the song at the end because that came too from Neil and Johnny. So originally, I remember that scene at the dinner. There was a joke in there where not a joke, but it was more of a humor moment where he talked about like, oh, we were going to be the best duo since Hall and Oates. When he yeah. said Hall and Oates. And that was always in there. And then I remember on the day, like Neil was just like, I don't quite get the Hall and Oates reference. Like, and so he ad libbed that, like, like Simon uh, and Garfunk. And I remember watching mm-hmm. Daily just being like, yeah, that, that's right. That's good. <laughs> and then um, at the same time, we were just starting to think about episode eight and like what song Johnny would sing. We were sort of going through all these songs with season, our, our music supervisor and like, what could it be? And we reached out to Marlon and Marlon was sending some really interesting songs along. And, but it also really felt like you wanted it to be something that really feels recognizable that tells that story and then when season pitched the boxer it was just like oh man yes a hundred percent like it's almost yeah. like neil knew it when he was kind of talking about simon and garfunk and then the lyrics and how that goes are just like yes this that's yeah. kind of one of those wonderful things where the actors play a part in that. Uh, it seems it's like so a good. no-brainer now it seems like totally. the perfect choice <laughs> totally but it was you know like everything it takes you know it takes months to come to it and then when you get there <laughs> right. You're like, right yes of obviously yeah. Yeah. when yeah. will we get to hear um abbott's version of me and julio down by the school year <laughs> <laughs> well, neil's, neil's an amazing musician too so neil's got like a, a couple albums out he just had released an oh, album wow. like last week Really kind of amazing stuff. And there was versions of that scene when they did it, when um, uh, when Johnny sang, where uh, uh, Neil sang along with him, you know? And it was like, in the moment, we were sort of like, no, it's really, this is a Johnny moment. Like, he's the, you know, but you could tell there was just yeah. a part of Neil that was like, I'm a performer. Um, he's just mouthing <laughs> the words off to the side, like, oh, I want to be doing this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You did mention Sing and Ronnie. They have a pretty powerful yeah. arc also oh, over man. the course of the season. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about the choice to ultimately send them in both on horses, but in very different yeah, directions yeah. by the end. Yeah. They'll always yeah. have horses. They'll to always connect. have horses. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, originally, obviously Ronnie, you know, isn't really a character in the comic books. And, and so, you know, I remember in the pilot, you know, there was a longer scene in the pilot when she got sick that they had a conversation and we shot this conversation scene with them. And when we cast Elisa, it was like, not to say it was an extra, but it was like, uh, it was kind of a one-off kind of a part Uh in, in episode one of the pilot. But we did that scene, and and we kind of left it open ended because I I didn't know where we were going to go with Singh's character. I knew the broad strokes, but I didn't know if the, if she was going to be continue as a as a sort of season long character. And then Aliza was so good when we shot the pilot. We just shot that one scene, and there was so much chemistry between the two of them that it was just one of those like wonderful things where it was like, oh, we can't let her go. Like she's amazing, and this relationship between them was amazing. And so like that entire arc, that entire character was really just because of how good Aliza was at that point. So obviously we brought her back in, in season one. And I think we had even written like the entire season one, completely even forgetting to say like, Oh, by the way, Elisa, like you're a main character in season. We're like, I don't know if you ever left <laughs> New Zealand and you knew. So that was sort of how the season one arc went. And obviously, you know, where Singh goes in the comic book. So it's all about sort of getting him there. And when I first pitched it to a deal, you know, early on when we were doing just the pilot, you know, I sort of said like, here's the, here's the character in the comic book. This is what's going to become. And you can just see him going like, Oh, and you could see his brain going like, what's the humanity? Like, where do I find that? And so part of that was almost just like a protective instinct of like, I really want to be able to do this. So we're going to make sure that this is like a very human character, very relatable. And then the beauty is that they just become this really fun couple to write for. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so it really felt like you take them that way. And it, 
felt like we pushed her as far as you could push her instead of a Lady Macbeth, you know, kind of season one version. And now the fun part was just sort of seeing how much further we could sort of arc them away from each other in there. And then it just really, it just really takes off. And by the end of it, you do get to a point where you're like, if I'm her, I don't know how much longer I could put up with this. And, um, yeah. So you, you really just follow the characters and again, follow it straight from the cast. I mean, I know you may not necessarily be there, but would Ronnie play it all in a potential season three, or should we assume that her yeah. story is wrapped up? I don't know. Good question. Okay. Good, very good question. Well, <laughs> you know, you said you you started writing season two before season one came out, and now yeah. season two uh, yeah, has come right. out. Yeah. So yeah. I think yeah. technically, well, yeah, as on the day on the first day of the strike, the, of the writer strike. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're writing now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. just yeah. real quick, just write the season <laughs> yeah. for us. That's fine. Just it's not scabby. My final draft here. Yeah. <laughs> what would, what would well, be? I mean, oh. just talking about sort of where we are. Like you've assembled sort of a D and D style party uh, to head to Alaska. Um, that's yeah, right. such a in the in the <laughs> comics. It's such a like push pull of like should we go? Should we not? And uh, I think to, it's such such a propulsive end to the season. I feel like um, was there a, a temptation to sort of sit where you were, or was it always like we got to get them going? Um, I think get them going. It's so interesting because we actually wanted to do more of that earlier. So the thing, uh, which is above my, yeah, John see Garvin that pretty <laughs> cool. John Garvin is the thing. That's my favorite movie of all time. And like, I've always wanted to do a kind of an Arctic story and a genre Arctic story. And that X-Files episode that was sort of the, ah, the, the thing, you know, was like my yeah. favorite. So I've always wanted to do that. And so really, obviously we start season two with, um, with Bertie there and all along it was like the idea was season one season two is going to be always about like Bertie is going to have this massive storyline in every episode of her adventures in the Arctic hmm. but suddenly you start telling it and then it's like oh it doesn't really fit in this episode you push it and then it kept being like okay we're going to need Amy in episode three and then suddenly episode three pops up like doesn't really work here either uh, yeah. oh, shit. <laughs> suddenly and then you kind of push it and then it's like it kind of happened the same way that season one happened where suddenly it's like she gets her own episode in episode seven um so that was always a big part of it, and the and the Arctic was always a big part of it. And I wanted to get there so badly, and then suddenly it gets pushed to the end of season two, and it just felt like, yes, now we're going for it. So and now we've earned it. So yeah, I think it was always uh, we always knew. Uh, I mean, would you see? Would you see? Uh, see a, again, a potential season three is like that's the closer that's wrapping up the story as they go to Alaska and solve all these mysteries. Um, I think I I like three season i still have like feature brain you know i feel like i yeah. you know i still feel like an imposter in like writer's room with tv writers because i still come in with like my sort of three act you know movie thing <laughs> like, well, we don't do that here we do whatever we want 20 seasons yeah, that's exactly. very interesting so, yeah. to think about like uh if a writer's room is coming to this uh, coming to you kind of like fresh like do you say okay watch the tv show first or you say read the comics first like what's what do you tell like a possible person who's going to be in your writer's room like what is it like um, do you say anything like it's 30 percent comics like <laughs> how do you how do you do that with that source material for them it's yeah it's a really good question it changes i mean obviously in season one it's you know read the comic because read the comic it was, right, right. It, it was you read the comic and watch the pilot and see what we did with the pilot and sort of mm-hmm. how that you know sort of adjusted some of the 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 sort of the flavors of it um season two is a bit of both i think and really it's like it's the it's the comic but it's also 
more of Lemire's stuff too. So obviously yeah. Essex mm. County, I feel like that's definitely shares, yeah. uh, you know, and, and that I've seen the first two episodes of that. Like, that's awesome. I think what Jeff is doing with that is really cool. So I think it was also about like, not just Sweet Tooth as a comic, but like Jeff's sort of language and his style, you know, as an cool. artist, but also how he writes and how sort of personal it is and how much, you know, because a lot of people come in and go, it's comic and they sort of expect like kind of more traditional comic. But I love what Jeff does with the kind of um, very singular, very personal vision that really feels like what it is, is him sitting there by himself, drawing up, drawing these things, dreaming these things up by himself. And there's a real personal touch to all that and hopefully that kind of carries through in the show so yeah uh i want to ask you about towards the end we get that last scene with mrs zhang with i assume it's more bestial hybrids that she's keeping in that crate uh what can you tell us about that as well as the switch of villains was there any hesitance there in terms of taking out abbott with a herd of bison and then moving on to something <laughs> classic murder weapon um, yeah good good question um not really i mean we came up with her character at some point in season two and i think everyone just really loved that character like we kept coming back to that and kept coming back to like i think you know kind of i like to keep the the comic book audience on their toes a little bit you know like i yeah i don't love if there's something that i'm a big fan of and i'm watching like you start to fall into this sense of inevitability of like okay now we're going there mm-hmm. you know and now i sort of know what that's going to be and part of the fun has been going like actually it makes more sense in our show if we actually go this direction but you know not doing that all the time but just you know just veering sometimes and, and staying on course sometimes so i think that was a, a big part of it but again i think the same thing with Amy, it really felt like season two really felt like it was humans versus hybrids. And it really felt like for, for Amy, it felt like at the end, both of them had to lose in some way, you know? And, right. and, and in Amy's case, it was like sacrificing herself for her kids. She even says at the end of one Oh eight, I think something like we're all going extinct. I forget what the line is, but she basically kind of predicts it at the end of one Oh eight. So at the end of season two, it just really felt like we're pitting these two ideologies against each other neither one can really win the pure victory. You know, obviously she does because the hybrids win and Gus lives on, but it felt like to do that by sacrificing yourself, like that was the culmination of her story arc. And then the same thing with Abbott, it really felt like to watch him sort of do everything that he could and sort of put everything on the line. And then ultimately at the end of the day, it's nature that beats him. It's like, once that idea came up, it's like, yeah, that's exactly what needs to happen for Abbott. Like you can't bring him back from that. And actually when I first called you know, the characters that were, that are, you know, were, were, were meeting their end in the end of season two. Like I had a call with them before the, the, the show, before we started shooting to talk about it. And I had told Neil, you know, I said, you know, I kind of pitched his entire arc out for season two and kind of told him, and you get thumped at the end, you know, by the bison <laughs> and, you know, and it's like, and it's at the end, like nature wins. And he's like, that's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. And then he, um, you know, he went away. And then like weeks later, somebody, you know, in production was like, I think you need to talk to Neil again. I, and Neil rang me. He's like, I have to confess when you told me that I was like, what a wonderful way. How are they going to bring me back after this? Classic actor shows. I love it. I mean, that's what makes Neil so great. and makes him avid. It's like, that's always a part of his, uh, his mindset. But yeah, we had a good laugh at that. But yeah, that always felt like once that happens, it's like, that's really the end of that storyline and the beautiful part is there's other storylines that you sort of can continue um if it does um that uh, that her character could take on well yeah. and i love that you do such a great job of introducing um jang mm-hmm. in that like when abbott sees her he's like 
oh, oh no. Yeah, right. <laughs> She's much yeah, more yeah, terrifying yeah. than I am. I'm a clown yeah. compared to her. Yeah, and yeah. then, I mean, and you did such a yeah. good job of having us identify with Abbott with the, by humanizing him yeah, a bit cool. that we're scared of her the same way he's scared of her. Yeah, and then cool, she's good. the one left. So, like, because yeah. it, it, we, we talked about it on the show, like, it's so tricky to just do the Indiana Jones swap of villains like that. Yeah, right. And I thought yeah, yeah. Uh, you let us see through his eyes there in a, in a great way. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. A um, couple of quick ones for you before we start to move on to the next order of business here. The really um, important stuff. The important <laughs> stuff. Um, first of all, will James Brolin ever show up on screen? <laughs> That's Good our conspiracy question. theory is that he will. <laughs> yeah, he's in the cave. He's, he's sitting in the cave with Birdie and he's like, you finally yeah, right. made it here. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Good. He's like the, uh, he's the grill knight. Yeah. yeah, he's the antler man. Um, he's wearing an antlered skull, and he takes it off. And yeah, James good, good question, good question. Um, to be answered <laughs> someday. <laughs> <All right. laughs> and, and then we talked about the stats a little bit at the beginning here. I know there's a, yeah. a lot of questions always about this process. Like we mentioned, we're taping this on the first day of the writer's strike, so who even knows? Yeah. But um, what potentially needs to happen? What do you need to get to to get that season three pickup? Or what can fans do to hopefully spur that on a little bit? Um, watch it, talk about it, you know, I mean, um, yeah, I don't, I wish I knew that what the, what the sort of the secret sauce was in Netflix. Obviously that's a big part of what, you know, writers are, you know, going on about today right now is really sort of getting a better understanding of all that. So I don't know. I wish I knew that there was a rhyme or reason. I do know that, you know, obviously it's, uh, obviously it's a business. That's always a big part, but I do think there's like watching it and then there's talking about it. And I think we're in an age also where it's really hard to promote stuff. Like I see people say like, you know, at times that like Netflix isn't pushing it and stuff like that. And I kind of agree at the same time, you know, I live in LA and there's a billboard, you know, nearby. And so that kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> like I, you know, and I'm seeing what they are doing. It's also like, you also understand, like, it's just the, the, the environment that we're in. It's just so hard for anything to punch through. That's why I'm excited that it does as much as it does. But such a big part of that is word of mouth and such a big part of that is people talking about it. And, and as much as I'm not a big social media guys, but as much as people do engage on social media, share the word, you know, get it out there, like, and show that there's really is an appetite for it, that, that I have to imagine that has a much bigger impact that we'll realize and think. So anyway. Awesome. Well, yeah, fingers right. crossed on that. Yeah, the thing thanks. we need to move on to though, you were very yeah. helpful last season. We do the, uh, an event called the Syrup Cup. The Syrup Cup, yeah. each episode, we taste a piece of candy, and then we try to judge it. We ended up in another quagmire, I think it's fair to call it, in the last episode. Uh, where we all disagreed on what we liked the best, so I wanted to okay. throw it by you and hopefully get your judgment for the Syrup Cup 2023. So here, here's what we tasted, and whatever you think is the best of these, I know you didn't necessarily try them, but maybe you have yeah. at some point. So we okay. got... Okay. All right. Butterfinger. <laughs> Butterfinger. Nerds. Cadbury cream eggs. We did that for episode three for chicken and chicken egg. Just throw that's cool. Uh, mm. Peanut M and M's, Starburst, mm. Nestle Crunch, hundred grand, and for the final episode, we chugged straight maple syrup from the bottle, like How Gus does. Uh, surprisingly, cool. does great. truly, yeah. <laughs> it's a great way to start never, the day. I never Gus's really head. imagined that Gus would do that. I just remember at some point I was like, okay, and action on the pilot, and Christian just started swinging, and you're like, no, no. 
Oh yeah, that's good. That's great. <laughs> I remember having conversations with him like, what do you think that does he pour it in a cap and then do it? Or does he like just do that? You know, like is it like Winnie the Pooh and his like poop? I hate yeah, I was gonna spoil it right from the beginning. As soon as you as soon as you said Butterfinger, I was like, Yeah, Butterfinger. I, it, wow. I was even gonna say like if Butterfinger's in there, it's gonna have to be that. So I would say Butterfingers followed closely by peanut M and M's. Wow! Closely by peanut M and M's. Yeah, excellent. Something about that uh, buttery toffee chocolate and that peanut butter chocolate combo is hard to hard to beat. Awesome. I believe you selected Snickers last uh, for the last victory. So Snickers, Butterfinger, strong finishers. Uh, we'll have to reconvene nuts. for season three and have you yeah. judge again, yeah. Jim. Congratulations yeah. on everything. Fantastic! Thank you season so much, the man. Show. Such a great, great show. We loved it so much. We had such a great time with it. Congratulations! Oh, thank you for all your thank hard work. You. Thank you, thank you. A lot of people, a lot of hard work in there, and and so yeah, I, I know uh, it's fun watching everyone that really like sacrificed so much time and 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 energy to make this uh, uh, make this show like get. Yeah, just seeing people see it. I've worked on a lot of stuff where you work really hard and people don't see it. So when they do, it really helps. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Bobby, I'm back. Later. Bobby, I'm back. And if you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out, chat with us about Sweet Tooth, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, the Candymen can. Butterfinger in your face, everybody. Oh, oh, me too, on, in all of our faces. In our faces. Please put a Butterfinger in my face. <laughs> <laughs>